morning and welcome to Town Square. I'm Beth Ann Kozlovich. As we always like to tell you, this conversation can include you. If you'd like to join us, the phone lines are open. Here are the phone numbers from Oahu. It's 941-3689. And from the neighbor islands, or if you're listening to the live stream someplace else, you can get to us at 877-941-3689. Now, Maui, it seems, wants to take the lead in banning one-time-use polystyrene products, and there's a bill before the county council to do just that. Supporters of the bill say it's taken years to get it to this point, and it's a big step in keeping non-compostable containers out of Hawaii waters and landfills. Meanwhile, the one-use plastic bag ban on Oahu continues to be criticized for not doing enough, and some environmentalists say that even compostable plastic bags aren't a fix, but at least they would be a better alternative. Tonight on Town Square, we'll consider the proposed Maui polystyrene ban, how effective the bag, the plastic bag bans have been, and whether Hawaii will continue to get more plastic out of our state. And again, if you'd like to join us, our number is 941-3689 or 877-941-3689. Joining me tonight, Jennifer Milholland. She is the president of Styrophobia. It's a nonprofit whose mission is to advocate for statewide composting. She can also share insight into other projects that they've been working on. And we're happy to have her here. John Elkier flew over here from Hilo. He is one of the owners of Sustainable Island Products. It's a company based in Hilo that makes compostable packaging for the food service industry, plus post-consumer paper products and glass containers. Stuart Coleman rounds out our panel in the studio. He is the Surfrider Foundation's state coordinator. And joining us by phone is Rob Parsons. He's the Environmental Coordinator for the Mayor's Office on Economic Development. Welcome to all of you, and thank you for making time to be here tonight. Glad to be here. This is, you know, we're talking about sort of, you know, one part of a very large conversation, and and the fact that consumers have been kind of confused by what's been happening with the various bands and how it is that they really make a difference is part of what has been driving some of the conversation that we've been having of late as we've been looking at the bill on Maui. Rob, I want to start with you for for the moment. Uh, On Maui with the plastic, the polystyrene container ban that's before the county council, what would be exempt from that? Anything? Well, uh, first of all, thank you uh, for addressing this topic, Bethann, and for bringing in some some very... uh, very good guests to to round out the discussion, and uh, thanks also for that good intro on where we are here on Maui. Um, before I answer about the exemptions, I will just say that this has finally passed out of the Infrastructure and Environmental Management Committee of our County Council last week. We expect it will go to first reading, uh, first of two readings at full council a week from Friday. Uh, we have been working on this, I would say, for about seven years. This was first conceived in about 2009. You know, Maui led the way with our uh, plastic bag restrictions, which went into effect January 11th of 2011. And um, so we're, we're hoping that finally, after lots and lots of discussion, that we can make a significant uh, step forward in restricting some of these single-use plastic items. Now, to answer your question about the exemptions, there 
there is a section, as is in most cities or counties that have adopted this kind of legislation for financial hardship or, or for unique circumstances. And these would be evaluated by the director of environmental management, uh, who can either then uh, offer an exemption or say, no, we don't really think that that should be exempt. Well, we talked about this measure when it came out of committee and was going to be going to the council, as you've just mentioned, is going to happen shortly. One of the things we heard was that, uh, in fact, using a compostable container could, in fact, be cheaper. And so the argument that many restaurants have used for a long time, that it was going to put them out of business, it would be too difficult for them to switch over, just wasn't as true as perhaps some thought it was. Do you have evidence to show that to be true? Sure. Uh, We have submitted lots and lots of price sheets and comparisons of uh, compostable, renewable uh, uh, alternative products. And in many cases, the costs are equivalent. In some cases, there's a few cents of uh, difference. And what we've tried to say is that this can very easily be a pass-through cost, that it shouldn't put anybody out of business. And, you know, the same sorts of arguments came up when we had the plastic bag uh, discussion, and people adapted their behavior, and retail stores adapted their behavior, and in some cases used it as a marketing opportunity to sell reusable bags at the, the point of purchase. Well, so I the to... economic one, yeah, we've, we've tried to address that. Okay, because the, the point that I'd like to, to talk about a little bit with, with all of us is that when you're looking at potentially having a pass-through of maybe $0.05 cents or $0.10 cents for the container. You know, that's in some ways not very different from what people are already doing if they're being charged $0.05 cents or $0.10 cents for one of those reusable plastic bags. And we can talk about what that reusable bag is, whether it's truly reusable or not or what happens to it. But the point is that this doesn't seem to be a consumer-driven issue so much as an issue of convenience or tradition for the way in which many people have gotten used to using plastic. Well, we we live in a plastic world. Plastic is all around us, and I think that what we've tried to do with this proposed legislation is take some of the, I guess you, I've, I've heard it just referred to as the low-hanging fruit. You know, there's many other plastics that maybe we could move away from, but this this is one that's, uh, easy to target because of its impacts to the environment and uh, also to health, you know, and the way it's produced from fossil fuels and uh, in chemical refineries is dangerous and releases its own uh, uh, byproducts and chemicals. So there's, there's just there's many reasons to target polystyrene foam food service wear. Well, we have lots of people around the table over on this side of the mic who have been doing some of that, too. Hang on. Stay with us. I want to go right around the table. Stuart, I'm going to start with you as you've been working on this for a very long time through Surfrider and and even before that. Giving a view of the state as a place that is truly addicted to plastic. You just heard what Rob said a moment ago that, you know, plastic's all around us. Well, surely we know that whether we're looking at toys that we buy for kids or getting one-time-use Ziploc bags or containers or going to the takeout and getting that, yeah, truly plastic is all around us. But if we are so very addicted to this, how do we start to 
understand what to do with some of these plastics or better understand what we can do with some of these plastics in in replacement value and why that would be an exchange, not necessarily something it would be difficult to do, but simply just a change of vendor. You know, with all the, the kind of great coverage you guys have been doing on the 75th anniversary of Pearl Harbor, I've been thinking about that time and that culture in Hawaii. Most of our grandparents, um, people who grew up in that era, never had any plastics, and they did completely fine without it. They managed to, to live without it. And so we grow these attachments to things. And during that culture, there was also throwing away nothing. I mean, nothing was thrown away because, you know, there were blackouts and there were uh, you know, rations and everything. And you had people who had come through the Depression who were told that to throw anything away was, was truly sinful. Exactly. And so, you know, we've adopted this culture of, it's you know, a throwaway culture. And it's only really in the last 30 years that we've, we've been influenced and so dramatically influenced by it. Um, and, you know, we have these big plastic industries telling us, oh, litter is a, you know, it's a people problem, people littering. Well, no, they're designed wrong. They were only designed for 15 minutes or 20 minutes of use, and they persist in the environment for hundreds of years. So it's just something that we need to, to change the, the psychology of this is not something we really need at all, and it is detrimental to the environment. Jen, jump into here because you've been working with Styrophobia. This is your, your mission to change how we do what we do. Do we need to have some sort of statewide intervention? It, it would appear so, given given how much the the litter management approaches have not been been effective. Um, a lot of a lot of opponents to to bans and prohibitions point to litter programs, and they say we need to we need to focus on end of the line, um, get rid of the litter. Let's focus on the litter, like increase the the fines against littering. But it, it fails to look upstream at how much power we have to look at the production and the importation and the distribution of it. So um, I think when people think about what, what we can do in Hawaii, I think that they're almost, almost limited or confused about what we actually have the power to do. Um, there's programs around the world um, that, that focus on ex- extended producer responsibility. Um, this idea that you know traditionally the cost of managing products um, just processing and getting disposing of them falls on on municipalities that that's just how it's always been but this is a switching away to re- rethinking basically that actually the the onus should be on the producers and manufacturers because they're in the position that they have the most the highest the best ability to to augment to make different decisions about what what materials to use so they can act, they have the most power to influence downstream effects of this so i think not only um Hawaii looking at what we can actually import, you know, focusing on, you know, we can only actually, like, let's say hypothetically, we could only bring in things that we can manage effectively and responsibly. Um, so so just to jump in here for a moment, so you're suggesting that we would have to look at this almost in in the inside out from the way that we normally look at it. If I need this now, it's cheap, I'm going to buy it too. If we can't dispose of this thing appropriately and do it sustainably to use a word that's been used a whole lot, <laughs> uh, then really we shouldn't be importing it. That's that's the idea exactly. I think um, it's it's taking a diff- different approach to it too because typically we look at like individual products like we shouldn't have this, we shouldn't have this, or like, let's not let's not use it as much. But I think taking a step back, I think I want I would hope people would realize just how much power we have in influencing what the products are even made of to begin with. Um, you know, extended producer responsibility. You see it all across the the country and and other countries as well. Um, Vermont's a great example. Like they have, you know, elect, um, 
electronics, uh, mattresses, <laughs> um, different different plastic products that they look at the cost of, of a municipality managing that, and they say that a producer can only they either have to pay a, f- a a fee that is equivalent to what that costs to manage it, or they have to change their product entirely. And there's different levels of that extended producer responsibility. My intention is just to draw draw focus on that. There's many different levels that we can look at this at. Um, and that we're clearly not looking at it now because we're being told that, well, H-Power will take care of it. <laughs> All right. I yes. want to talk to John for a second here. John, you've heard what Jennifer was saying. Also, what Stuart said a moment ago that, you know, looking back to the days when we didn't waste things, where there were milkmen, things came in glass. You seem to want to move us back into that era, too, given some of the things that your firm is producing and that you've been able to find a market for how easy or difficult has that been for you? Initially, um, working through the products to the customers was was not um, not necessarily easy with some customers. Um, but uh, as of late, our growth has been pretty substantial. Um, the consumer wants to do the right thing um, in most cases. And the restaurateur wants to do the right thing. And uh, I'm, I guess I'm the positive attitude guy that says, you know, I give everybody a chance. Um, and we have folks that try very hard to uh, do the conversions. And they might not be able to get all the way there, but they can get some of the way there um, to convert from the plastics to to compostables or or even paper products that are that are far and away better than um, extend, it, polystyrene by far. So um, it's coming, uh, it's coming well, um, um, but there's there's still opportunity. And I, I guess I'm going back to Jennifer and Stewart's discussion about the big, more the big picture side, and. Um, if you look at uh, the solid waste in- initiatives that we have, zero waste initiatives specifically on the Big Island, we're behind. Uh, we have some we have some challenges, um, and I hate uh, as a business person, I understand where a business person would say ban. Ban is a harsh word in my opinion for a business. You know, it's my business, and I. Who's going to tell me what to do, right? And, and I get that. That makes sense. Um, there's an opportunity here for businesses and government to come together to reduce our solid waste exposure for the long term. And it's the first step, really, uh, t- towards the uh, and Stuart, you're familiar with the. I think we're all familiar with the Aloha Challenge. I mean, we we've got some things to do, um, and we're behind. So, I think the customer sees that a little bit. All right. Well, for those of you listening who are our cu- customers, and that would be just about everybody, <laughs> we want to hear from you. Do you, in fact, want to do the right thing? What does that mean to you when it comes to? Buying convenient things like little snack packs to put your kids, uh, you know, lunch pails together every morning or to put in your own lunch or just to put food away at night or 
or, or, or all the places where we find ourselves reaching for something that's made of plastic that's going to get a use and then get popped right into the trash. Our number is 941-3689 or 877-941-3689. I wanted to ask you, Rob, because the idea of a ban, which John says sounds awfully harsh, especially in the mind of a business person, the idea of potentially incentivizing someone to do this in a way that makes good sense environmentally, makes good sense business-wise, and also becomes a selling feature, perhaps, for, for that business entity. Have you considered how that might be positioned as opposed to a ban without you know, taking away anything of, of what a ban would be doing? Sure. Um, good question. I, I have... Uh, considered, I think, banning the word ban. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I've, I've heard uh, some people say bans don't work, but you know there are plenty of places where we uh, ban cigarette smoking from inside of restaurants, and sometimes government does need to come in and help uh, its constituents make the right decisions. So I, I don't think this is too harsh. Actually, we've been referring to our legislation as restrictions rather than a ban. Uh, I think it's a little bit easier, a little more palatable uh, that way. And, you know, we're we're trying to focus on the the positives that that can come out of this. Uh, And and I do think that this is just one piece, and what your other guests there have uh, eloquently stated is bigger uh, holistic views of how we handle uh, solid waste here. And, and, and uh, you know, Stuart mentioning that, you know, just a couple of generations ago, we didn't throw things away the way we do now. There wasn't all this single-use uh, packaging. And, uh, you know, uh, those resources, that then you mentioned, um, if we can't do something sustainably, don't do it. You know, even the word sustainability has been hijacked, and, and I think it's a very valuable word. I don't think it's a buzzword or a trendy thing. I think it's absolute necessity is that we uh, pursue sustainability. Uh, we have some guidelines and goals from the Aloha Plus Challenge that Hawaii Green Growth has brought to our community and to our decision makers. And, uh, yeah, I, I this, this is just a step. I, I hope we're trending in the right direction here with the proposed legislation. Jennifer, you wanted to jump in here. Yeah, I just I just wanted to add that um, absolutely people do, everyone kind of bristles at the idea of a ban. Um, it's it, it On its face, people I think people feel that they're being restricted unfairly, you know, in, in the well, United States. somebody's controlling your behavior. If someone's controlling your behavior. In the United States, we, we pride ourselves on our independence, our ability to make our own, own decisions. Um, but I just I want to point out that there's a lot of precedent for government or municipalities stepping in when there's like insurmountable evidence that something like a product or an action is causing detrimental harm to a community to people um for example grease traps um i'll step back a second but um i know a lot of restaurant owners are saying like you can't you can't put these restrictions on me it's going to run me out of business i can't make my decisions about my own businesses but there's a, a long history long precedent of restaurants having restrictions put on them when there's an issue of the greater good, you know, to coin a phrase, greater good. Um, for example, grease traps. When grease traps was found, like, 
it messes up our plumbing, our infrastructure. It's it's you know bad for the environment. Now we're mandated restaurants are mandated for grease traps. Um, American with Disabilities Act. They have to put ramps in. You have to wear gloves when you're repairing food. So there's a long history of you know government stepping in when it's, it's there's a clear detrimental impact. And I think in the case of expanded polystyrene, there is no getting around the you know the public health implications, the the environmental implications. So safety you know, and well-being. Safety and well-being. It, it, it seems to be the driver of all that, Stuart. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the painful fact is uh, uh, 100% of all people tested Americans, you know, have styrene in their bodies. You know, I mean, this is just something that we have to face. And, you know, much less you think about the consumers, but also the workers that have to deal with this and and the uh, effects, health effects that they have to endure. We're going to take some callers now. If you'd like to join us, the phone lines are open at 941-3689 or 877-941-3689 if you're calling us from other than on Oahu. Going to Marge calling us from Kula. Aloha, Marge. Thank you for your patience. Oh, gladly. I would not only like to see styrofoam eliminated from our life, from our waterways, from every place, but all of these single-use plastics. However, I know that's not realistic or single-use wear. So these more responsible alternatives are out there. Um, Health department doesn't want to hear this, but I take my own containers for takeout food, reusable containers that I know are adequately washed. And part of the issue that we have on this whole thing is not just the foam and not just that single-use product, but also getting people up to speed with what the health department laws really are and having the health department, which I guess is now being looked at, realizing that sometimes they're overstepping, erring on the side of caution, but to the point where it's creating problems in other ways. But anyway, the, the idea, Maui no longer has roadside trash to an appreciable amount. Eliminating plastic bags has made such a huge difference. And the further step is to get rid of all these other things that might be thrown out because those used to be in a plastic bag and fly out of the bed of a pickup truck. Now they're just scattered. And so we need them all. We, we, we live on, a, on rocks. In the of the ocean. We, we do, but right now, I think at least in, in this tiny little rock of the studio in, <laughs> around our table, you're getting a gold star for <laughs> a lot of the things that you're doing, bringing your own containers in for your takeout. That's, uh, boy, that, that's more than, than I see most people ever do. Thanks so much for the call. There, there would be some issues potentially with that, you know, I would think with the, with the health department, you come in with your own container. She knows she's washed it adequately, but... Yeah, I, I can actually speak to that if I can. Um, and I just want to, you know, congratulate her. She brought up a point of ultimately the the goal isn't just like which single-use item do we do. Ultimately the goal is to bring your own because y- you completely eliminate the question of how do we dispose of it responsibly when you just bring a durable container. Um, now the question becomes, you know, what are the health implications of that? And, you know, Hawaii has has their own um, food, food safety regulations uh, managed by the Department of Health, which are copied from the federal level as well. It's, it's basically the same thing. Um, it draws an important distinction between the prep area and the service area of a, of a space. You are not allowed to bring an, a, a foreign container 
uh, regardless of whether you can swear it's washed, you're not allowed to bring a foreign container into the prep area. However, you can bring a, a, foreign, a foreign container that, into the service area. And then, for example, when people go to Starbucks mm-hmm. and they bring in their own you know, coffee mugs mm-hmm. or their travel mugs or whatever, they will make you take off the top, mm-hmm. but then they'll fill it for you. Right. And there's even there's even caveats, especially for for coffee coffee establishments, where they're required to allow you a washing station if you wanted to wash it out. But I just want to draw the distinction that that most when you talk to restaurants and they're like, we want to encourage people to bring their own containers. How can we do that? And they're like, no, no way. And they say, no way. I'm not going to do it. The um, Department of Health is going to come down to me. It's against the law. And I think that that illustrates that there's an, a, maybe a misunderstanding of the specifics of the of the regulations. Because a person can bring their own container if you develop a system in which, you know, maybe the restaurant has like a designated plate or container that they bring your food to you into that service area. Because that in that case, it's not illegal. But if they bring your con- if they bring your container past that that plane into the prep area, then they are then it is illegal. So I think that's an example of an opportunity that we have to educate restaurant restaurateurs and encourage bring, bring your own container. And of course, none of that would happen if you just simply took your container out of your bag and did it. Right Right. there at the table, and (laughs) nobody would have any issues with any of that. Thanks, Marge, for the call. Going now to Laura calling us from Mililani. Aloha, Laura. Welcome to Town Square. Hello, this is Laura from Mililani. Can you hear me? We can. Okay, this is what I wanted to say. I, uh, this really roused me up because I believe that it may sound silly, but plastic bags are such an important issue, whether or not to have them or ban them or whether, that it should be put to a vote. It should have been a resolution during our last vote because that way everyone could vote statewide and you get a, you have the opportunity to really um, uh, educate the public about the pros and cons of banning the plastic and all this other stuff. And you might actually be able to encourage people to come vote for something that is... Okay, but Laura, taking it where we are right now, where we already have bans, certain bans in place... Maui wants to be able to take it further. It's been sort of, you know, leading the charge for a while. How do you come down on that? Will you say that that's okay, that if we have these bans in place, that uh, that's something that you think is a good idea? No, I don't. I don't think we ought to ban plastic bags just because, one, I believe that you should look at the end, end point. Figure out how we can keep them out of the river, but don't ban plastic bags. I love plastic bags. I'll be quite honest. I use them for all sorts of things. I never throw them just anywhere. You know, I use them for walking the dog, for putting out my trash, for all sorts of things. And when, and when the plastic bags were banned, I went out to the store and bought a box of the plastic bags because, yes, that is important in my life. So I do not appreciate people just, just my... my uh, representatives just voting to ban most of the plastic bags. Okay, I, really I, I, I want to get the rest of the, the team here in to talk to you about that a little bit. And, and thanks very much, Laura, for calling. You heard what she has to say. you know, And she is like a lot of people who say, I like my plastic bags. What am I going to do? People who go out and take their dogs out, what do they buy? The little plastic bags so you can you know, do your pooper scooping. <laughs> you know, those kinds of things where the plastic is not going to disappear a hundred percent, but clearly she's trying to take those bags and use them. We hear that from a lot of people. They use it for their shoes when they travel so that they don't have to mess up a, a nice travel bag or whatever, 101 uses that people were trying to come up with to use or reuse these bags again, the, at least the thin ones. 
What do you make of that, Stuart? You know, first of all, the the law that's in place and and Hawaii has distinction because even before California just passed their you know Prop sixty seven, yeah, their their ban on plastic bags, Hawaii did it first, county by county, and we were a real leader in the country. And you know, for responding to Laura, I would say you know there are a lot of exemptions. They're not banning all plastic bags; they're banning the most littered items in the country. Um, so you know, each individual goes through about 400 plastic bags a year. And as, you know, representing a group of volunteers across the state and chapters across the country at Surfrider, you know, we have to clean these up. Um, So if you don't see them, it's because, you know, there's city workers that have to be paid to do this. It's millions of dollars in taxes um, to clean plastic bags and styrofoam. And we see these at every single beach cleanup. So there is a huge uh, effect and and people have to pay that price. All right, we're going to go ahead, John. Go ahead. Well, to to kind of go a different direction from what Laura said. Plastics perform well. That's 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 part of our problem. They work. They're a polymer and they take heat and I you know, as humans, I, take a look around you. There's plastic everywhere. Um because it functions well. Our difficult part is to wean ourselves away from that. Not just extended polystyrene, but all of those plastics. So I understand her concern about a ban or a restriction, as, as Rob would say. Um, and, and the replacements that are coming are, are going to perform just as well. So, so for example, I mean, because I, I live in a neighborhood where a lot of people have dogs, mm-hmm. and we're all out there walking, and everybody has their little, you know, cute little bag with some, mm-hmm. you know, cute little thing on it, so you don't actually see what's going in it, and but they're all plastic. There's is there, is there's there, there's PLA compostable bags. There's but very hard for a consumer to find. For now, yeah, I would agree. I would agree. And it's not as pre- prevalent on the, the grocery store shelves as, as other items. Which kind of goes back to the point, the overarching point, that if some of these things were available, would, in fact, people who want to do the right thing purchase these products? That's another question that you can think about. But there are think about. You know, newspaper bags. There are vegetable bags. There are so many bags, bags. and so many different things that Absolutely. we get that people can use every single day. We're just talking about the most littered ones, you know. I want to talk to you about bags, reusable bags, in just a second. But I want to promise, I made a promise that we would get through uh, some of our callers now. I'm going to go to Christian calling us from Kailua Kona. Aloha, and thank you for your for your patience. Hi. Thank Hi you there. for my on. I've never called into a radio before. This is well, we're glad, we're glad to have you and glad that this <laughs> was the subject to, that I got you out. I cold, so I sound even weird. <laughs> I was just wanting to call and talk to you. Anybody that is not able to find plastic bags around is not looking very hard. You are, my tortillas come in a plastic bag. I mean, come on, everything comes in a plastic bag. And if we get better with saving those plastic bags and reusing them, that's what I use to go pick up my dog poop. I mean, there is a bevy of plastic bags available at any time, anywhere. Well, that that's so, kind of the point that, you know, we're when we're talking about the ones that we get from the grocery store when you check out that's one kind of plastic bag but all the things that go into that plastic bag or used to they also come in plastic bags that can be reusable 
Whether right. it's, I mean, the tone of cheese that I buy at the store comes in a plastic bag that is totally suitable and appropriate to pick up dog food. There's never a shortage of plastic bags. And I'm calling from the Big Island where our ban um, on plastic bags has been in effect for a while. But I wanted to call and comment on the word ban. I wanted to remind everybody that we just elected a president that talks openly about banning whole groups of people from our country. So I think that banning is a strong word, and I think that when we use it in conjunction with plastics, it's appropriate because it talks about the potential danger that is inherent within plastics. The fact of the matter is styrofoam should be banned because there's no reason to use it. We have lots of other things that's not poisonous and that's not toxic. Christian, so, thank you so much for, for calling, and uh, glad that not only you're a first-time caller, but you uh, gave us some other good things to think about, too, and we hope you'll call again. Thanks so much. Our number is 941-3689 or 877-941-3689. I'm Beth Ann Kozlovich. This is Town Square, and tonight we're taking a look at plastic in Hawaii. How do we get rid of it? That seems to be a real movement across the state. We've seen plastic bans for plastic bags. Uh, at least the single-use ones. Then again, there are those heavier-weighted ones. We're going to talk about those in a second. But we want to hear what you have to say about banning plastic or getting the plastic out of Hawaii, those clamshells that may come home with you when you bring in takeout or that you may find yourself getting at the grocery store when you buy various different you know, goodies, whether it's tomatoes or nuts or other things. that you know, Plastic, is, as we've talked about earlier in the show, everywhere. Really, what do we have to do to wean ourselves away from these plastics? And are you willing to do that? 941-3689 or 877-941-3689. I want to talk to you about those plastic bags because we were told kind of with, with the incoming plastic bag ban that well, we're talking about those things that fly away. That's that's really what has to be dealt with first. And And to a great measure, that's been a good thing. Then we saw those thicker yellow bags come in, and we were told, and they're printed on many of them, please reuse this bag. Well, that's still a plastic bag. And other people were saying, but yeah, you know, you could buy reusable plastic bags too. They're maybe made from a different type of plastic, but you're still reusing them. So as long as you reuse them, isn't that a good thing? These are shades of understanding and shades of actions that may be taking us in the direction, John, for example, that you were talking about earlier about having replaceable things and learning how to handle these things a little differently and to, as you said a moment ago too, Jennifer, about looking at our lives from the end-use point of how are we going to get rid of this stuff. But it's, it's a journey. So I want to ask all of you, how do you feel about these plastic bags, those thick ones, those big yellow bags? I won't say from where they come because they seem to come from every place. Stu, you want to go first? Yeah, we uh, are working to um, kind of close that loophole that was created, um, which was really an exemption for, you know, department stores that had thicker plastic bags. And we were, as we've been talking about, really focused on the thin plastic bags that they give so many of at, you know, the point of checkout. Um, And it's a shame that, you know, you had a number of companies that did the right thing. They followed the spirit of the law and they, you know, stopped using them. And then you had other companies that, uh, you know, have been wavering back and forth. You know, I go to my local longs and they go 
they keep on apologetically saying, oh, we're just using through this stock. We know it's wrong and the tellers are embarrassed, you know, the, the, the checkout people. And the same with, you know, uh, Safeway. They've been kind of going back and forth. And so we're working right now to do an amendment to close that because that really does violate the spirit of the law and what we, you know, did to, to all the hard work that a lot of people did, not only environment groups, but voters and people supported. Rob, I want to get you back in here. What do you think about these bans? You just heard what uh, these bags. What do, you, what do you think about what Stewart has said about closing the loopholes, although they are also included? Uh, our county council is currently reviewing that. We've just had a couple of recent committee meetings, Infrastructure and Environmental Management Committee. And it, it actually came about because one of the uh, county council's legislative aides was getting calls from uh, people in our community saying, well, I thought we banned plastic bags, but I keep getting them at this store and this store and this store. And It's confusing. Said, it, it's the thicker mill plastic, and our our ordinance that took effect in 2011 references three mills. So anything greater than that didn't fall under it um, in our ordinance administrative rules. Uh, Council Member Ellie Cochran uh, put forth some new language. It's being considered it will come up in the new term in January, and we will be adding three new council members at that time as well. So I expect that that will come up again. Now, in our research, and looking at many other jurisdictions who've uh, encountered the same issues and arguments, we've found that a lot of them have instituted a bag fee for paper bags, because that came up in discussion in council too, is you know, what is our bag ban what, what impact is it having on paper bags? And uh, we, so I think Stuart just mentioned the Prop 67 that was passed by California voters last month. Now, that came about because industry lobbyists, I think, got legislators to put it on the ballot to try to overturn California's plastic bag ban and 10 cent bag fee. And it went the but, other way. <laughs> but, but voters, I think, uh, you know, by uh, 53% of voters, if I remember correctly, said, nope, we're, we'd like to uh, affirm that banning plastic bags is the right thing to do, and we're okay with the 10 cent bag fee because that is what the studies indicate really motivates somebody to bring their own bag, and that's the whole point. All right, Rob, we're going to take a few callers, unless either John or Jen, do you have anything to add to that? I, I just wanted to point out, like, from, I, I definitely agree with Stuart that what we're seeing on Oahu with the thicker ba- with the thicker bags, it, it does go against the spirit of the, of the, of the law, for sure, but uh, I do understand where a lot of, of um, businesses are coming from, because they're, they're, they're the ones that are interfacing with their customers, they're the ones that have the customers saying, you know, we hate this. Where are our bags? Where are our bags? So they're trying to they're trying to please their customers. They're trying to you know, in, in effect, be a good you know, good business. Um, but I think it's such it's such a huge huge opportunity to you know not not necessarily go to all paper bags because those are just as as environmentally detrimental. You know, there's no no argument against that. Um, but to go to that place where we are as a community and as businesses saying, all right, here's our opportunity to bring our own bags. You know, I know that's such a common phrase, bring your own bag. But again, it eliminates the possibility that you even have to worry about the single-use bags. And there's so many things that um, supermarkets can do that they do across the country, across the world, encouraging bring your own bag. All right, we're going to take a lot of callers now. We've got 
the phone lines lighting up. Obviously, this is striking a chord with you. So <laughs> keep the calls coming, 941-3689 and 877-941-3689. And we'll move through as many of you as we possibly can. Going to Joe from the Big Island. Aloha, Joe, and welcome to Town Square. Yes, uh, hi, Beth. And uh, I'd, like, I'd like to get, uh, get in on your discussion about the plastic bags and styrofoam, yeah? It is so nice to have a discussion uh, of panel, yeah, with normal people, yeah, speaking about a certain subject that is so important to a, a I would say, a consumer that is, uh, we, we all eat, we all eat, we all need to eat. Who, ma'am, would you tell me in your panel would stick out for someone that is disabled? In other words, I feel that you should have someone there that would stick out and have the insight or the, uh, what do you call it, the insight as to how a disabled person would feel when plastics such as plastic bags and styrofoam would be banned completely, yeah? Okay, Joe, 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 uh, I want to, Joe, Joe, hang on. Joe. A lot of uh, uh, people that are disabled uh, get their lunches and, and food. Okay, that, that, that's uh, what, that, hang on, hang on, Joe, stop for a second. That's what I wanted to ask you, to make that connection between people who are disabled and the, the, the styrofoam that might be required for give, bringing lunches, because there are people who are disabled who depend on Meals on Wheels and other organizations that bring things to them, and they do come in those kinds of containers. So I think that goes back in a way, Joe, to what you were saying, that there are replacements for that, and it's not necessarily for the person who may be at home or disabled or elderly to have to require that, in some cases maybe not even know that they exist, but getting to organizations like, for example, a Meals on Wheels or other organization that may bring something to someone who is, is disabled or those giant plastic bags that a lot of equipment you know, will come in to get to them and let them know that there are alternatives. So I, I'm, I'm questioning. I don't know what the question is, really. Well, I mean, the point of it is he's saying that for disabled people who get certain goods. Low and, income and services that come to maybe his home or to uh, the home of an elder and bring meals. How would it affect them? Yeah, and he's saying that, you know, these things all come to me in styrofoam. What am I going to do? That's really not something that's truly a consumer issue so much as it is getting to the organization and letting them know perhaps that there are alternatives to be able to deliver these things because it's still plastic that's going to wind up in a landfill. Absolutely. Or well, H-Power. Well, and going back to Rob's, there's... Rob's and, and most of the polystyrene laws that are out there, there's a, a hardship exemption, number one. Um, so so that can help with that or help in that transition. The other part of that is is the things that we provide our customers perform as well and in some t- cases better than uh, extan- expanded polystyrene. So the, as far as its functionality, um, it's right there with it. So, um, so how do you get to some of the organizations that may be using some of these things? And because they're nonprofits and they're really concerned about cost factor and the rest of that, to be able to have them also be able to participate and to go back to the earlier conversation, do the right thing in using something that's 
far better than those. We just have to make that contact. I mean, we've we've attempted to work with um, the school systems. So, um, in the the school systems and governments are obviously the low bidder. So that that tends not to be where we're at. I mean, we're a, in in some cases a couple of pennies higher. In some cases, a few more than a couple of pennies higher. So, um, the cost differences can can make that decision for government before we're really we can really have a chance to do anything. Um, but there's there's uh, there's opportunity everywhere. I mean, there's there's so much opportunity everywhere. All right, we're going to hear what a few of our callers see as opportunities for themselves now. Going to Lani calling us from Wailuku. Aloha, Lani. Thanks for Aloha. your patience. Aloha. Hi. Hi. Um, hopefully you can hear me okay. I'm, I'm actually up in El Valley, so hopefully mm-hmm. the connection's all right. So far, so good. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I guess um, you know I, I grow Carlo. We have a small organic kalo farm, and um, day-to-day, I'm dealing with plastic. It's in the ground. It's everywhere. Black, black plastic, uh, weed mat, plastic uh, irrigation line that was left. Um, and I'm trying to grow this food healthily for my family and community to eat, and there's plastic in it already. And then when we make our poi and um, go to distribute it, um, I put it in a plastic bag in a plastic container. And I really want to get away from that. There's too much plastic already. We know that the health of the land is the health of the people. So this is just a shift in mentality, I guess, to go back to that mentality. Um, and then and then we can figure out solutions. Um, you know, we, we, we don't really need the plastic. Well, there's two issues, right? There's the health and safety aspect. I mean, we're talking about the health department, and then there's a convenient side for the consumer. And so those are the two main things that we just need to work around. For us, I'm thinking, okay, we're a small poi manufacturer. Maybe we should just um, make umeke and have people bring those umeke to us, to mm-hmm. our poi shop, and then we fill the, their umeke, you know, week to week and stuff, um, putting them in plastic. Just need to think a little more creatively. Be open to. Or, or, or what about the compostable variety instead of putting them in plastic? I mean, not just because we have, you know, <laughs> Joe sitting here, but um, what about using a different type of container to be able to deliver the poi? Right. I, I've been looking into it. I think, um, I, and I guess I'm not educated enough about what those alternatives are. Um, the ones available to me on Maui um, are mostly like paper based. And so um, the point kind of seeps in, into them a little bit. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I need to look deeper into it, too. I, I really feel like this is an important issue. And, um, you know, we're talking semantics about ban. Um, we're just talking about a transition. And so um, even though I want to uh, be a part of that transition, I guess um, education about what the alternatives are is, is a really... Okay. Well that, well, that goes back to something John said a little earlier when you talk about replacements and that we just don't know and the larger conversation that we had a little earlier this hour about the availability to consumers or producers to be able to find some of that. But there are restaurants who are doing this already. And, and Stuart, I think you've been in touch with a number of them and, and perhaps you have well, been if, too, if, John. If you go to most of the natural food stores, you're going to find this product. You're going to find it in in a clear plastic that is called a PLA or a corn plastic, you're going to find it um, in a variety of different containers. So 
it's it's very prevalent out there and it's very available uh, it's it's readily available just, by just by someone, not just us, but a number of distributors in, on this island as well. But to somebody like Lonnie who is producing poi and needs to be able to sell it, I mean, she says that she's done some looking around, but not maybe as, as diligently as she could do. But from a manufacturer's perspective, not just the end-use consumer, but to be easy. able to find that. You think it's easier. Oh, no sweat. All right, Lonnie, yeah. you just heard it. It's, it's easier than you thought it was. <laughs> but for the, the restaurants who are using the kind of compostable materials to give you leftovers. Um, do they make enough of, of a big deal about it? I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think about the restaurants that we go to frequently, a lot of us here, and we talk about that, and and don't really hear somebody say, you know, and they come in those compostable containers, even though, for example, at Public Radio, we've now had a couple of zero-waste uh, fun drives, and that has been sort of inserted into our general consciousness throughout the whole organization. But are restaurants who are using these not making a big enough deal about it? Yeah, you know, there's always that argument that, oh, you're going to put restaurants out of business. When San Francisco enacted its ban, it did an exhaustive study, and it found that no one in San Francisco and no one across the country where any of these bans had been imposed had suffered, had gone out of business, none of them. So what we did working with Kakua Hawaii Foundation and Maui Huliao Foundation um, Surfrider has a new ocean-friendly restaurants program, and we wanted to use instead of the you know just the the stick of the ban and trying to ban these things, use the carrot and recognize those restaurants that have done the right thing and are using you know compostable products and not producing all this single-use plastic. And we've certified almost a hundred restaurants just since Earth Day, um, and this is all volunteers going and out. How they do we love find it. out? So we have uh, OceanFriendlyRestaurantsHawaii.org. There's a whole list of the restaurants. And it's been so successful in Hawaii and in Southern California that it's about to go out nationally because people are clamoring. And eventually we want, uh, you know, something on Yelp where it's like it's a filter where we want ocean-friendly restaurants. You know, do they not use all these single-use plastic forks, cups, plates where they have, you know, reusable you know, all this stuff on site and proper recycling practices and, you know, uh, seafood that you know is safe and uh, not on a watch list. Um, so it's really taken off because you vote with your dollars every time you spend and people are starting to realize, like, I want to go to places that are doing the right thing. All right. And they well, happen to be some of the best restaurants in town. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We're going to move on and talk to Dora calling us from Manoa. Aloha, Dora. Thank you for your patience. Um, hi, I've heard that there's estrogen in plastics and that it affects men, women, and children. And I wanted to know if anybody there knows anything about that and how it affects them. All right, Dora, good question. We've had some conversations about that before, having to do with children's products and other things that, that we commonly find around home. Who wants to take over that question, Jen? Stuart? I can, Stuart, go ahead. Yeah, it's I'll um, Stuart to stop. <laughs> Dora, that's a, a really good point because um, there are uh, uh, plasticizing chemicals that are put in almost all plastic products, and they're called endocrine disruptors. So they actually get in our system. Um, you've probably seen the stickers that say BPA-free. BPA is one of the most popular. Um, phthalates are another, and they're in almost every type of plastic. And they are um, they mimic estrogen, exactly as you said. And so... 
you know, when someone says nowadays, you know, I'm not half the man my father or grandfather was, it's true. Um, <laughs> but you know. also think they're using fragrances too because that's another place where it's found. Exactly, and almost all our products. And so we need to start, you know, kind of regulating these things more carefully. Yeah, and, and just to add to that as well, it, it goes far beyond the, the human health implications. You look at when these plastic, these get into the environment, these plastic soups that exist in our, in our oceans, um, those, those multiply greatly um, all up and down the food chain. As the, as the plastics break into microplastics, they get ingested all up and down the food chain. And those microplastics accumulate. Not only are they toxic to the environment, but they, they attract other toxins. So it accumulates, and as different as it goes up the food chain, it's accumulated more and more, and it ultimately ends up in, the, in a lot of the food that we eat, the fish. So not only does it have the initial impact when you just have it like off of a hot polystyrene plate, but it's, it's getting into the ocean and accumulating as well, so it's coming back to you multiple, multifold. Not good news. Not good news. <laughs> no, I mean, I once had a scientist here with me in the morning on, on the conversation who dumped out the contents of a, of a fish's stomach so that we could actually see this stuff that microplastics that had just been ingested and that, of course, had been moving through the flesh of the fish and, mm-hmm. and had been tested and not edible. Going to keep moving on now to get to our callers. If you'd like to join us quickly, 941-3689 or 877-941-3689. Going to Momi calling us from the Big Island. Aloha, Momi. Welcome to Town Square. Aloha. Um, I wanted to talk, well, first, I was so inspired by Lani and what she mentioned about being a, a Kalo farmer and good job. And um, I get I get home-pounded poi, and they give it in a ho'okipa of kiwis. So I don't know if she has, I know there's health regulations, but there's there's a functional way to get um, pa'iai customers. But um, also just about plastics, and I want to totally support the idea of manufacturers being responsible for the plastics that they're bringing into our environment. And I, I hear them talking about cost ratio, about the um, compostable items being more expensive, but truly, what if we, what if we tax the manufacturers the true cost of their product to our environment, and then the compostable ones wouldn't be more expensive. They would be a far greater and more appealing product because not only are they going to not make our land more toxic, they're not going to poison us or any animals in our environment. Um, They support independent businesses well, because I, I, there's several restaurants on the Big Island that do use these containers, and I actually have finally, and the big problem is finding some place to compost them because you have to have a really hot compost. We compost at home, but our home compost doesn't get hot enough. But I finally okay. found uh, a community facility where I can compost my compostable um, takeout containers. So it's okay. like when I take out the trash, I save up. I have a uh, bin for my compostables. Okay. I take my compostables. Forgive me, forgive me, mommy, because I mean I'm glad that you're doing all that, but you brought up a, a really important point. Where can some of this stuff actually go? And the other thing you were saying is, what about putting a tax for what we're coming in, what we're bringing in, John? Um, hi, mommy. I'm from the Big Island too. Um, so um, to answer your question, and it's a great question that you you're concerned about where to put it once you're done with it. Um, the county of Hawaii uh, has um, issued the 
the the contract to build a composting facility on the east side of Hawaii uh, to be opened in July of 2018. So uh, the end is in uh, the end is near. Uh, July of 2018 is going to come faster than than we think. Um, um, what well, the other part was about taxing. About what? About taxing. Well, um, producer responsibility. I, I mean, I'm going to go back to. We get to pay for this plastics, the storage of this plastics, for the next couple hundred years, and um, and and I say we as taxpayers, that's that's our burden right now. So we're that needs to be paid in uh, at some time uh, for that product. So why shouldn't the producer pay for that? I I don't see an issue with that. We're coming to the end of the hour. We had a caller who phoned in and had a very simple question, wanting to know about. Would any of the, the the newer compostable containers add any flavor to the food or change no. the flavor of the food? No. Some people were concerned because you know plastic polystyrene will does, does and mm-hmm. polystyrene will too. Yes, but but uh, all of the products that are made are made out of made from plants, not plastic. And they don't add any taste to it at all. None. Okay. All right, Richard. There's your question. The answer to your question. We have just literally a couple minutes left. I want to go right through the panel again. From this point forward, as we're moving into a new year, we're going to be coming into a new legislative session. Clearly, a new county council will be forming on on Maui very, very soon. Very quickly, what is the one thing that you think that everybody should be carrying with them into the new year? Rob, I'll start with you. Well, let's carry some hope into the new year. I, I mean, I have great hope that after all this discussion that we've had and bringing a lot of information forward and trying to correct some of the misinformation that has been brought forward by uh, industry uh, lobbyists, um, that we're going to take the significant step. And I, and I would love for Maui to lead the way. I'm not attached to that. You know, whoever gets to the finish line first on this legislation, congratulations to them because it has been a team effort with a lot of really great organizations and community members participating and really uh, trying to, to, to lead our decision makers into uh, passing this legislation. Rob, thank, thank you so much for joining us. Rob Parsons, the Environmental Coordinator for the Mayor's Office of Economic Development. Jen, I'll let you go next. Um, you know, in this in this coming session, we are we are looking at, a, at statewide legislation to address uh, prohibition of EPS foam. But I'm particularly most excited about the Ocean Friendly Restaurants Program because of how positive and the implications of it. All right, Jennifer Milholland, thank you so much for joining us from Styrophobia. John, very very quickly, anything to add? You got about 15 seconds. No, I'm good. <laughs> you no, know, you're good. All <laughs> yeah. right, Stuart, you get the last word. All right. Well, um, thanks for uh, bringing us here. I think it's really just amazing that. Um, the, the, the dream that we should have and that politicians should always be thinking about one thing, and that is what is best for the people, the health and beauty of this island. And this is what this is about. We have to remember that. It's about protecting our health and the beauty of Hawaii. Stuart Coleman from the Surfrider Foundation. John Elkier, so much thanks to both of you. You flew in to be able to be with us from Sustainable Island Products in Hilo. We'll be continuing this this discussion and see where we go as we move into 2017. Ooh, just got to get my mouth around that one. I'm Beth Ann Kozlovich. Thanks for joining us tonight on Town Square. See you in the morning.